engage with me, but not the Bible. Not a mic, and not a Bible, just a book and a handheld mic. So I got this book. I got this many years ago, maybe 20 years ago. It's The title of the book is The Hard Sayings of the Bible. The Hard Sayings of the Bible. It's a thick book. I don't know. How many, how many pages is this? I should have figured that out before I came up here. But it is roughly uh, 780 pages. Uh, two columns per page. Okay? So, thick book, hard sayings of the Bible. It's full of passages of Scripture that are really hard to interpret. So if you've ever felt like the Bible is sometimes really hard to understand, these are, these are scholars with PhDs from, from top universities around the world, and they clocked in at 780 pages of scholarship trying to understand some of the most difficult passages in the Bible. So if you're like, oh man, I don't understand everything, don't worry, no one does. Okay? There are just some really hard passages in the Scriptures. And there's just one book uh, that was put together some years ago to try to bring all that scholarship together in one place. Now, I show you that book because we're about to step into a section of the letter of 1 Peter where there are several difficult passages of Scripture. You are in this section of the letter of 1 Peter where he's getting very practical. How do you live in this world? A few weeks ago, if you remember, we talked about uh, Peter's uh, command to live as foreigners and exiles in this pagan world. And he started to step into, what does that even look like? He's going to talk about that. So, like, how do you live as a citizen of your country? How do you live as a slave? How do you live as a husband? How do you live as a wife? These are some difficult passages. Just wait till we get to that passage for you wives or you husbands. Or this next section next week where he writes to slaves. What do we do with this? This is why scholars over the years have put together things like this, trying to understand these difficult passages of Scripture. Well, this morning we're stepping into one of those difficult passages. It has all to do with how to use a Christian live in light of your citizenship, particularly as it relates to human institutions of authority. Particularly... Civil government. How do you live as a citizen under the authority of a civil government? That's no easy task in a world of vaccines and quarantines, right? No easy task. Let's jump in. First Peter chapter one, uh, chapter two. We're going to pick up with verse thirteen. We're reading out of the English Standard Version. It's a more literal translation. I bring that up every once in a while. Uh, in, in sermons, and today we're going to stick with that translation for the most part. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. So we're picking up where we left off a few weeks ago. Peter writes this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That's no easy passage. 
So let's just take it big picture. So just go big picture. Zoom all the way out. Big picture is Christians are to be lights in the world. And one way Christians are to be lights in a dark world is to submit to the authority of every human institution. That includes civil government. Now this is within the context of this larger section. So we've got to take a look at what just came before verse 13. We looked at it. A few weeks ago, we got, I just want to make sure we put it in context. Take a look. 1 Peter 2.12. Uh, it should be 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So here he's setting the stage. Make sure your conduct is honorable. And then we move into verse 13 where what it looks like to keep your conduct honorable is to submit to every human institution. Every human institution that holds authority over your life. That's one way you act honorable. It's a way of being a light in a dark world. That seems odd to us. I don't think any of us struggle with the idea that we're to be good citizens uh, wherever we live. But for these Christians, remember, they have been called out of this world. Peter has already re referred to them twice. We've already seen it twice in chapter 1 and 2, where he's called them exiles, foreigners. So if you've been living as a citizen in a particular kingdom, and now you've been called into a new kingdom, and, and now you're actually a foreigner in the one you actually live in, you may be tempted to detach. You may be tempted to just let go of this world and only try to live in the next. So the things of this world don't matter anymore. You don't have to be invested in, in your citizenship here. One scholar brings this temptation that these early Christians would have faced. He brings it up, but just in a summary statement, let's take a look at what this scholar said. He writes this, As citizens of heaven, Christians submit wholly to divine authority. But the potential misapplication of that truth is that they can become indifferent or even disdainful towards the world in which they live thereby forfeiting many opportunities for positive testimony. Believers' detachment from the world must be balanced by proper respect for and humble submission to all the legitimate institutions of human authority. So yes, we are not of this world anymore, but we sure do live in it. So this idea that I can just now forget about anything happening in this world and just live for the kingdom of God in the next life well, that's, that's to be unbalanced. And what Peter's trying to do here is make sure that these Christians don't get a bad rap, don't get a bad reputation among all these other people they live around by being viewed as dissidents, as being viewed as social, socially disruptive. Because for them, to be, a, to be part of the Roman Empire is to participate in certain things. And so when they stop participating, it may look like they're given a middle finger. I want you to go with me here. I know that's like that. what a preacher's supposed to say. But the world would have viewed that as giving the middle finger to, to the government and all the things the government stands for, which would be in the Roman Empire, peace and stability. And so now all of a sudden the Christians are viewed as the ones who are creating an unstable world. Now that can become a problem. That would be a problem for these early Christians because now they're viewed as the troublemakers because they're the ones that are creating all the disruption. 
There is this moment in the book of Acts, if you remember, recorded where there actually there is this there is this charge given against the Christians that they're the ones that are creating disruption in the city. They're turning the world upside down. That's not viewed as a good thing, but a bad thing. And so Peter here says, bring it into balance. You make sure to submit to all governing authorities, particularly civil government. You know why? Because the civil government is set up in such a way by God to do certain things. God has a purpose for establishing civil government. Take a look again. I just want to make sure we highlight this. Verse, uh, verses uh, 13 and 14. We just looked at it, but I'm highlighting. He says, emperor governors, they're sent by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That's the purpose of the government. To punish evil and make sure to promote what is good. At least that's the goal. That's why government has set certain authorities in place to make sure that evil is, is squelched, is kept at bay, and good is allowed to flourish. That's the role of civil government established by God in His sovereignty. Now, there's this longer passage, and I am going to just dare to read the whole thing. Romans 13, verse 1 through 7, Paul gives a longer statement on the purpose of government. So if you're ever wondering, like, why did God give us governments? Remember, he's writing this in, in a time where Roman emperors rule the day. The same emperors that set in motion lots of evil and justice throughout, at that point, the known world. These aren't good guys. And yet, Paul still writes this, Romans 13, verse 1 through 7. Take a look. I'm reading this out of the New International Version. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. Okay. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one who in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be uh, commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. The authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If we owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. I'm going to remind us that was written at the time of the Roman Empire. I know some of us think that Trump or Biden or whatever other political person you want to name is really bad. We're talking about Ro the Roman Empire, where crucifixions were abundant throughout the empire. There was not a constitution to keep things in check. It was the whim of the emperor. And yet Paul says God has set it in place, these authorities, to keep back evil. This is not an easy passage, nor am I going to try to... Uh, exposit or explain this whole passage, Romans 13. But here's the point. You Christians, Paul and Peter, to you Christians, 
don't go out, you don't riot, you don't loot, you do not uh, destroy property. You act as much as it is in your power by your conscience to be upstanding citizens. That's what you're called to be. And so when you owe taxes, you pay taxes. When a law comes down that you don't like, but is within the, with, is within the realm of the government's authority, you keep that law. You be upstanding citizens. Okay, so that's where we stand. It's so that your reputation is not ruined by your bad behavior. God has established government for good. Now, there's this other part of Scripture, there's this other stream through Scripture, though, where you have God's people who also stand against government authorities. Interestingly, Peter, who just wrote, honor, honor all human institutions that have authority over you. This is, Peter just wrote that to these Christians years before he wrote that. You know what he did? He disobeyed governing authorities. Because there is a moment where you are allowed to disobey governing authorities. Check out the way it's recorded in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, verse 27 through 29. The apostles were brought in. This is Peter and John. They're brought in and they're made, they were made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They're teaching about Jesus. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. There is a moment where God's people stand against governing authorities because the governing authorities no longer stand within the will of God. They actually are helping evil spread and punishing what is good. And here Peter says, we will obey God and not you. Because God trumps a human authority when the human authority stands outside of God's will. All right, so there's this moment way back in the Old Testament. You probably remember the name Moses. You probably recognize the name Moses. Well, when Moses was born, you might remember, there was a decree, a law given by Pharaoh that every Israelite midwife would kill all, every male born. But there was one that wasn't killed. Check out the way it's recorded in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 1, verse 17. The midwives, however feared God, and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. And one of those boys was Moses. God honored these women for disobeying the civil servant because the civil servant, the king of Pharaoh, who God had instilled, was way outside the will of God on this. Now, in his sovereignty, God was allowing this, but I'm saying the midwives stood within the will of God to disobey the command of Pharaoh. And then one more. You may remember this wild man preaching, heralding the way of Jesus, John the Baptist. He did not shy away for speaking, from speaking against some civil servant. Here it is. Luke chapter 3, verse 18 through 20. Here's what we read about John the Baptist. And with many other words, John exhorted, exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. So John the Baptist comes preaching the coming of the Messiah. 
And along the way, he also preaches against Herod and all of his evil. So God's people can speak against the evil of civil servants. That is not outside the boundary of God's people. And we see cases of that throughout Scripture. But in general, God's plan for civil government is to push back evil, to punish the wrongdoer, and to promote and, uh, to promote and foster the good. But there will be times where that is not the case. And God's people obey God and not man. That's just the way, we, that's the way God has set this thing up. But it's like, how do you find the balance? Well, let's give me, let me give you a summary, I think. After all of this, here's a summary. Let me say it this way. Christians are commanded to submit to the governing authorities, but not to disobey God in the process. And here's the key. The way Christians do this is by staying focused on doing good. I think that's the key. That's the line that runs through. Christians focus on doing good. It's right there in the passage. Right there. I'm not just making this up. Check out. We'll go back to our passage, 1 Peter chapter 2. I really have a problem with that one there. I'm not sure what was happening. It's really chapter 2. Um, verse 15. Look at how I've, what I've highlighted. He tells them, doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, living as servants of God. Now, what would that, like, why, would, why does that matter? Because these are people... These non-Christians are people that would be looking at the Christians saying, you're disrupting society. You are making us an unstable society. Peter says, no, no, no. Go about doing good. Like, help your neighbor. Feed the hungry. Care for the sick. You go do good. And by doing good, you're going to make those people look foolish. Can you imagine? Someone comes up and says, look, he's breaking, he's breaking our society. He's socially disruptive. And then someone else comes and says, but they just, they, there was, that person was just hungry. And they gave them bread. It doesn't seem very socially disruptive. You see how that would, that would put egg on the face of the accuser. That's what Peter's trying to do. Don't give people a reason to bring accusations against you. Do not actually be socially disruptive. Do good. You go about doing good. Now, if the emperor says you must bow and worship me, you can't do that. But you don't all of a sudden say, I'm a Christian and I don't pay taxes anymore. Don't do that. You stay right in your lane and you do good. All right. Let me summarize it this way. I think this is where, where we landed. Submit to the authority, submit to the authority of the human institutions God has established and do good. I think that's what Peter's saying. And this is how Christians live God-honoring lives as exiles and foreigners in this world. Do good. Do good. Now, there's going to be a lot of interpretation in that. But in the end, you do good. And sometimes we're going to have debates about what it means to do good as citizens of a particular country. And do you do this or do you do that? Now, we happen to live in the United States where we have a constitutional government. And so actually, by the Constitution, we are invested ourselves as citizens with some of this power. We are little emperors, if you look at it this way. That is, you have a vote. Therefore, there are certain means that you and I have to affect change in our civil government because our civil government actually invested citizens with power. And 
This is not the case around the world. But we in America actually have some power. We actually can affect change. Now, we do not affect change by going and breaking windows and rioting in streets. That's not the way the Constitution is set up. But you and I do have power. So there is obviously some debate on how all this works in your life and in my life as citizens of this country. Now, if anybody's watching around the world, which I don't think they are, but if they are, none of that applied to you, Um, depending on where you live. But I do want to try to take all of that and move it into into some application you and I can make right where we live. Okay? So one might not apply. The second applies to everyone. So here we go. First one. Maybe it applies. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know how active you are. Prayer before posting. Prayer before posting. Now, some of you are going, oh, I pray before I post, and then I nail that post. That's not what I'm saying. Let me explain. Peter said this in that passage we just read. Take a look. I just want to come back to it. Again, for some reason, I think it's in chapter 1. But let's go to this passage. Uh, Next slide here. Verse 16. It's chapter 2, verse 16. He said, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. So here's my thinking here. Now, we are spiritually free. That is, we are in Christ, and therefore we are bound for heaven. But we also, as citizens of the United States, actually have the right to free speech. So there's kind of a double angle here, a double, double, thing, a double freedom here. But what Peter says is, don't use your freedom to cover up evil. And I think we can be tempted to to spew out hatred or bitterness, things that grow in our own heart, and then we put it out on social media, and we use it, uh, what we do is we, we do that by claiming freedom of speech. Or I'm not of this world, I just live in it, and I'm going to call out evil. We are to call out evil, so I think there's a fine line. Please understand, fine line here. But each of us knows when we've stepped into the realm of hatred, bitterness, and just anger, maybe even some rage. We know when we've stepped there. And when we know when we post in that same tone. And I think what happens with us Christians, I know I've been tempted to do it, is I can claim freedom of speech. And then I lay a little Jesus on it, a little righteous indignation, and I can post whatever I want. Share this meme, write this post. But I tend to think often, I know in my own heart, because all I'm doing is I'm covering up hatred and bitterness with the Jesus cover so I can say whatever I want. I think actually the harder path is the one Paul talks about in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy says this. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Listen, Facebook wasn't an option. Instagram, TikTok, none of them were an option in Paul's day. But rioting was. Going in the streets was. There were a lot of other options for Paul. Paul himself was a Roman citizen, and not everyone was a Roman citizen. Citizenship worked different in the Roman world. But when it came to Paul instructing Christians, particularly here Timothy, on how to move most effectively to get a quiet life from your civil government, the one big thing he says is pray. You pray for them. Now, there are other things you can do. And as, America, as citizens of the United States, there are other things we can do. 
first and foremost, you pray. So let me step on my toes with this summary statement. Consistent prayer for our government is the hard work of Christians. Posting on social media is the easy way. And when I say consistent, I mean literally you have spent months praying for your government. It's a lot easier to share the the bitter meme than it is to pray consistently. And we will always trend to the easy path. Just as human beings, we always trend that direction. So, so what I'm trying to get at here is, not that you never post anything political on social media. That's not my point. But be very careful because there's a line where you and I step into, into a realm of hatred, bitterness, rage, anger that is not worthy of a child of God. We pray first and foremost. We pray. And vote. And may God bring more and more godly people into our military service to protect us. More and more godly people into our first responder services, into our law enforcement. More people of character. I mean, that's the way we begin to affect change. I'm not saying we don't. I just want us to make sure that as we move into 2022 with 2024 on the horizon... We keep our social media in check. We are people of prayer. Now, if you prayed a lot, share that thing if you think appropriate, but always check the heart. Now, you understand, I, I have many fingers this way. You know, you want to know why I don't post much on social media about politics? Because if I did, I'd get in trouble. Because I'm a pastor. So I just don't do it. But I want us, all of us, to kind of have that same idea. Just be careful. All right, here's the one we can all do. Here's the one we can all do. Do good where you are. Now, I know, it doesn't seem very profound. But I want to read you now one of my favorite passages of all of C.S. Lewis's writings that I have ever read. And I've read many of them. C.S. Lewis, that British scholar, Christian scholar, he wrote this in the 1940s during World War II. Okay? So when you see the reference to Germans, know the context. Here's what he writes. In letter six of the Screwtape Letters, I must mention, this is a senior demon writing to a younger demon how to tempt the new Christian, which they call their patient. So it's all reversed, okay? The enemy is actually God. The father is actually Satan. It's all reversed. Senior demon writing this letter how to tempt the new Christian. There's going to be some benevolence as well as some malice in your patient's soul. The great thing is to direct the malice to his immediate neighbors whom he meets every day and to thrust his benevolence out to the remote circumference to people he doesn't even know. The malice thus becomes woefully real and the benevolence largely imaginary. There is no good at all in inflaming his hatred of Germans, if at the same time a pernicious habit of charity is growing up between him and his mother, his employer, and the man he meets on the train. Think of your man as a series of concentric circles, his will being the innermost, his intellect being next, and finally his fantasy. You can hardly hope at once to exclude from all the circles everything that smells of the enemy, but you must keep on shoving all the virtues outward until they are finally located in the circle of fantasy 
and all the desirable qualities inward into the will. I think this is a profound passage. What Lewis is saying here is that we must be careful, be very, very careful, not to put all of our goodwill, all of the good we want in the world, we, we put it all over there. So let's just, let's just all agree, Washington, D.C. is broken. We'll just go there, okay? Washington, D.C. is broken. And we want to fix that and all the injustice that's coming out of Washington, D.C., okay? So we want to fix that because that's wrong. So all of our virtue, all of the justice that we feel, we throw it, we throw it up 95 to the White House. That's a lot of virtue. We're throwing that up 95 to the White House. But when we're driving, I might as well go there. When we're driving on Old Farm Road, we got our car right up on the bumper of the car in front of us. Do you see what's happened there? You feel really good because you're righteous and holy and have all this justice because you're trying to fix the government. You're sending emails, you're posting on social media. I mean, you're a good person. Look at you fixing all that injustice in the government. And yet you're being hateful where you actually live. This is why Lewis writes it that way. Make sure to take all of his virtue, all of those good things that might grow in his soul, make sure to put those as far away from him as you can. Make sure he hates the, uh, make sure that he, he d- tries to fix something overseas, but it's all breaking inside his own life. You see, this is the key for us. I am convinced that some of our biggest problems as Christians, and just as human beings, I, I'm not going to just take us as Christians. What has happened with media in our day is that you can turn on the TV, the radio, or pull up your your favorite social media app, and you can go everywhere you want to, particularly in the news. You can be mad about the injustice in Rwanda or in the Sudan or in Russia. You can get all flustered about what's happening in China. And all of your attention is directed there. And we spend hours and hours watching the news and listening to analysis about everything out there. And yet, at the same time, our world at home is falling apart. We can't even control ourselves when you have a bag of peanut M&Ms in front of you. I don't know where I got that from. That just might have been my experience this week. I might have told Tess earlier in the week, don't ever let me do that again. I might have done it last night. I just really like peanut M&M's. Now, you keep giving me bags of peanut M&M's. I promise. I will get self-control. This is not in any way to speak to that. But do you get my point? So I can, I can feel so good and righteous and get all upset about everything out there, but I can't even control things in my own life. What Lewis is saying, what Peter would say to us, Peter, Lewis was just walking in the wisdom of the Scriptures. Be very careful that in trying to fix everything out there, which is a fantasy in some ways, because you don't live there, that your own life actually falls apart. Do good where you live. You can't fix the White House. You can't. You never will. You get one vote. I don't know if you knew that. You get one vote. Yes, you should get one vote. <laughs> and that vote should get counted. You, get, you should get one vote and it should get counted, okay? 
as a living being, you should get one vote, and it should be counted. That takes you about five minutes every two years. And if you're doing stuff here at Roanoke Rapids, maybe once a year you get to vote. But, man, you put a lot of energy into that one vote, don't you? And so do I. If we would put that much energy into making sure we knew how to love our spouse, care for our kids, have self-control with food, drive appropriately when someone's slow in front of us. You get the point? Do good where you are. That's, that's at the heart of what Peter is telling us in the passage. As Christians, you submit to authority. You do good where you are. Now, if the authorities tell you to do something that is sinful, you can't do that. But beyond that, you obey your authorities. Even if you don't like them, you obey them. All right, here's the next step. Next step is this. I mean, I had a million next steps in my head, so I just landed here. But if anything hits you in everything I just said, go with that next step. Here's the one I came up with. Pray for our government leaders every day. The key here is every day. All right. I'm going to end there. Let's pray. Father, we pray for those in authority over us. Thank you that you have put them over us. Even when we don't like them, may they follow your purpose to push back evil and to foster good. And in the end, would you help us to make sure that good is growing where we live. And would you forgive us when we put all of our attention somewhere else where we don't even live and we ignore and we forsake those around us. So help us to be people of good reputation, good citizenship, doing good where we live. We pray that in the name of Jesus.